Listen to God's Word, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, well, good morning. Uh, I wonder how many of you have ever known one of those people uh, that has had so many different experiences in life and seen so many different places that he or she is just impossible to impress. And you know, people like that, you just cannot wow them. And um, it makes you want to find, well, it makes me want to find something to wow people when I find people that are difficult to wow, to impress them. And, and one of my professors, when I was a student in seminary, was like that. He had done all kinds of things in his life. He had had all kinds of experiences. And he was, among other things, a very accomplished hunter. He would hunt with a bow and arrow, and he would also hunt with a rifle. And he would always get something as a hunter, whether it was big game, small game, whatever. And, and uh, in class, he would always share these incredible hunting stories to a bunch of, you know, future preachers who like to be able to tell a good story. And so we could never impress him with any stories. I don't even have any hunting stories. I know that shocks all of you. Uh, not much of a hunter, but um, I wanted to find a story that would impress him. And so one day, a friend of mine and I heard a hunting story from someone else, and this story just stunned me. He, he was out dove hunting, he said. And this dove, I guess, I don't know how this works. This dove was like coming right at him and he shot the dove with the rifle and like the arc or the trajectory that the dove was coming in on, it fell so that he caught the dove in his hands after he had shot it. And I was like, that can't possibly be true. I finally got a story. So I go back to my seminary class and my friend and I tell our professor, Dr. Leonard, you're not going to believe this. I mean, this guy shot a dove and then he caught a dove, not a dove, the dove, like the dead dove he had just shot. And Dr. Leonard said, that is unbelievable. That's only happened to me like three or four times in my life. I'm like, forget it. Just forget it. Some people are impossible to wow. And, And I often think that that's how the apostles felt when they hung out with Jesus. And I don't mean to say that Jesus was full of himself in any way, quite the opposite, in fact. Um, But they saw Jesus do such one-of-a-kind things, right? That there was nothing that could impress Jesus. And did you know in the Gospels that there are only two times that we read that Jesus marveled at something, that he was wowed by something? That should make us wonder, you know, what must that have been? I mean, if you can raise people from the dead... If you could turn, like, almost no food into enough food to feed, like, thousands and thousands of people, if you can read minds, what's going to make you marvel? Here's the first one. I'll tell you the second one later. Jesus went back to his hometown as, as he was doing ministry of Nazareth, and, and he looked around at all the villagers that he had grown up with. And, and they don't believe in him, these villagers. And we read that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Their lack of faith was stunning to Jesus. And, and Matthew actually tells us that Jesus could only do a few miracles in that town because of their unbelief. Try and figure that one out. That one messes with our minds. Don't, try, don't come ask me about that because I don't know why that's true, but that's what the scriptures say. Uh, why do I share that? 
It's just one example of, of how dark and stubborn and unbending the human heart can be. It can be so unbending that it actually makes God incarnates go, wow, they're just not going to believe. They're just not going to have faith. Today, I want to, with you, war against that mentality, against that condition of our hearts. I want us to fight against unbelief and, and to celebrate and to strengthen faith. I can't make you have faith. And the mystery is you actually can't make you have faith either. Faith is a gift. So let's pray. I'd ask you just for a second right now to pray in your hearts that God will grant it to us. Faith. Today, Hebrews 11 is all about faith. This is a really famous chapter in the Bible, and deservedly so. And what the chapter does is it defines an important aspect of faith, and then it illustrates faith through all these wonderful Old Testament stories. And today, we're going to look at the definition, or a definition of faith, in verse 1 and 2. And then next week, we're going to look at the illustrations of faith in the rest of the chapter. So I want to step the stage real quick, then we'll jump in. This isn't an exhaustive systematic definition of faith here. This isn't all that faith is. It doesn't tell us everything that faith is or that faith does. Rather, Hebrews 11 is an aspect of faith that's driven by the context and by the concerns of the original author. And in context, the author of Hebrews, as we've been studying this great letter, want the Christians, he wants the Christians he was writing to, to stand firm. If you look at the end of chapter 10, he writes there that we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but rather we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. He wants the believers that he wrote to originally, and God through the Holy Spirit wants us now to, to live a life of faith in, in the face of the perils and, and the doubts that they and that we face in our collective lives and in our individual lives. He wants them to see what he's been talking about through this whole letter. Jesus is better. He's repeatedly instructed them in that so that they will live a different kind of life. Hebrews wants us to be a different kind of people. The kind of people who can do what he writes about. For example, in verse 34 of chapter 10, look there. He says, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That's the kind of life that we're called to live if we're followers of Jesus. And so in order to exhort and encourage the original readers and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, also us, Hebrews gives us an example of what faith is, an illustration of what faith is, and then all kinds of different ways of fleshing that out in the rest of the chapter. So this morning, let's look at this great definition of faith in two ways, okay? Two parts. First, faith sees the future as certain. And then second, faith sees the invisible as real, okay? Verse one, let's look at it. First, faith sees the future as certain. Uh, very simply, deceptively simple, actually, is verse one. Faith, he writes, is the assurance of things hoped for. That's 10 words in the original language, deceptively simple. J.B. Phillips, in his translation of the New Testament, translates Hebrews 11.1 1 like this. Faith is putting our full confidence, putting our full confidence in the things we hope for. 
That word translated in the ESV assurance and by Philip's confidence, that's a, that's a key word. It's only used one other time in all of Hebrews. In Hebrews 3, the author wrote this, For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence. That's the word. Confidence firm to the end. So that word, faith is the full assurance or confidence, means something like um, a vital, confident trust that God will do what he promises. Faith is the ability to see the future that God has promised and to accept it as certain. Okay, let me say that again. Faith is the ability to see the future that God has promised and to accept it as certain. Now, that's important um, because so many of God's promises, uh, most of God's promises, actually, have a not yet aspect to them. They haven't yet been fully realized. They haven't yet been fully fulfilled. And so faith, the author of Hebrews is saying, is the ability to trust that the future is certain, that God is, in fact, going to do what he has promised to do, even and especially when it doesn't seem to be the case now. Okay, you tracking? Faith is the ability to believe that the future is as God says it's going to be when all of our present circumstances mitigate against that belief. When all of our present circumstances seem to be telling us, no, God is a liar. No, it's just optimism and naivete to believe what the scriptures say is going to happen with this world. It's, it's intended to help us fight against our own cynicism, against the jadedness of our own hearts. That's why the author of Hebrews 11 spends more time later in the chapter on Abraham than any other figure in all of the Bible. We'll talk more about this next week. But for now, suffice it to say that the critical quality of Abraham's life was that he trusted his future to God even when his present circumstances mitigated against that trust. Just as one example, look in verse 8, chapter 11, 8. We read there, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And then uh, we see that Abraham moves everything. He goes to the place God would show him. And he believes when God tells him, I'm going to bless you and cause you to be a blessing. Even though he, you know, he had a pretty decent life there in Ur of the Chaldeans. And God tells him, go somewhere. And he doesn't give him any GPS coordinates. He doesn't give him a map. Abraham has no idea, no idea at all where he's going. But because he's a man of faith, he's fully convinced of God's future fulfillment. He's fully convinced of God's future fulfillment, even though they haven't come true yet, all of his promises. Think about it like this. Imagine um, you dads or you moms. Let's go moms. It's Mother's Day. Imagine that, uh, mom, you put your, you know, six or seven-year-old son to bed. And you go back out and you're hanging out in the living room. And uh, you just want to go check to see if he's asleep. And so you go back to his room and he's not asleep. In fact, he's sitting up in his bed and, and he's crying. And so you go and you sit down next to him on the bed and say, what's wrong? And your son says, every kid in my class has a bike and got a bike for, for Christmas or for their birthday this year, but I don't have a bike and I feel left out. And so you, being a, a generous and loving dad or mom, say to him, this year, you're going to get a bike. 
This year, you're going to get a bike for your birthday, or you're going to get a bike for Christmas. And your son says, thanks, Mom, or, or thanks, Dad. And, and you go back out of their room, and then a few minutes later, you go back, and they're sound asleep. That's faith. Faith is the ability to trust your father at his word. One quick clarifying note here. Sometimes in our culture, Christian faith is seen as really just kind of blind optimism. Blind optimism about the future. And because it's often seen as just sort of blind optimism, it's viewed as something that's unreasonable or thoughtless or naive. Any of you ever experienced people who feel that way about Christian faith? I certainly have. I read a Washington Post article recently in which the writer in an op-ed was writing about Christianity, and he said this, Christians are, quote, poor, uneducated, and easily led. Thank you. Christians are poor, uneducated, and easily led. The idea that he's communicating is very common in our culture. It's that if you believe these things that the Bible talks about, you are at best naive and unthinking. And I think we can fall prey to the idea that biblical faith is the same thing as just blindly hoping that your preferred future comes true, irrespective of the evidence. And here's what I want to tell you. That is absolutely false. That's not at all what biblical faith is. On the other hand, the Christian faith is well-grounded. The Christian faith is reasonable. The Christian faith is a faith that is based on evidence and that has veracity. We might struggle to believe that. I suspect some of you do. Partly because we have a misshapen view of what constitutes evidence. We have a misshapen view of what constitutes proof. In our scientific age, um, we're led to believe that the only acceptable form of proof is if we can personally observe, test, and verify something with our own senses and not depend on information received from anyone else. I believe it when I see it, right? That's what people say. But I would just propose to you that none of us actually live that way. In fact, in almost every aspect of our lives, we take things on faith. That is, we rely on the testimony of others instead of our own personal observations, testings, and verification methods. Just an example. Uh, Back in the day when we used to balance checkbooks, right? I remember my dad would check his bank account regularly and the bank's record of his checking account, and he would look at the bank's statements. And you could say that he would use the bank's statements as testimony of the reliability of what really is in his account. But my dad also would, you know, balance his own checkbook. He would calculate expenses and income. And and you could say that his own calculations would constitute his seeking to prove the amount of money he has in his bank account. But the information he receives from the bank is obtained by faith. He's not there when the bankers count his money, but he has confidence in the bank's ability to count his money correctly. Now, every now and then, every now and then, there's a difference. There'd be a difference between his calculation and the bank's statement. And I'm sorry to say that in every instance, guess who was wrong? My dad. My dad's calculations were were always the ones that needed to be 
corrected. You can see that as pitting our idea of proving something against the idea of taking something based on someone else's testimony. And, And Christian faith is the same thing. Christian faith is a faith that's grounded on verifiable, reliable, credible testimony of others. And that, I want you to hear, can constitute proof, as well as, and often even better than, our own personal observations. Here's the Christian message, okay? Here's the Christian faith. The Christian faith depends on testimony. That is what the four Gospels are. These witnesses, they saw Jesus live, and they saw Jesus die, and they saw Jesus get buried, and then they saw Jesus rise again from the dead. Hundreds of people saw it. And then they went and they told many about it, and their testimony was verifiable and reliable. And so our faith is not naive or blind. It's reasonable and grounded It's based on reliable testimony from those who were there and witnessed these things. The point that Hebrews wants us to hear is that God has kept his promises in the past. And it stands to reason that he will keep them in the future. Faith is the reality. The reality of things hoped for. This is not pie in the sky, naively optimistic language. Rather, faith is the disposition of the heart that knows that the gospel is true and receives it as such. So, faith is able to see the future God has promised and accept it as certain. It's able to receive the future God has promised and accept it as certain. So, let's do this. Let's let our faith comfort us. Will you do that with me this morning? Think of all the promises that God has made to you and to me that are still not yet fully realized, okay? Think about the promises in our current lives that God has made that are hard to believe because we don't see the reality of them right now. And and let's exercise faith. Let's believe in the certainty of God's promised future. So for one, okay, here's one that's hard for me to believe. God promises that I am righteous. God promises that on the day of judgment, when Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, as we confessed earlier, he is going to look at me, and not only is he going to acquit me, he's going to declare me to be righteous. That is hard for me to believe sometimes because I know my own life. I know my own inner struggles, and many of you know my own outer struggles. I see that I'm still full of sin and hard-heartedness and lack of faith and and doubts and struggles. And it can be hard to believe that what God says of me is actually true and that one day it's going to be fully realized that I am righteous. But God has promised that to us. We can have faith. Secondly, another example. God's promised that when we cry out to him, he will hear us and help us. When we cry out to him, he will will hear us and help us. Every psalm says something like that. But that feels difficult when we pray and don't hear his voice. It feels difficult when we ask him for something and he feels like an absentee father. But God has promised it. And faith is accepting the future as certain. God has promised that we will live in a new world with new bodies. 
that are perfect and flawless and beautiful. But right now, we look at ourselves and we see that we're sick. We see that we're hurting. We see that we're slowly dying. But God calls us to believe that the future he has for us is certain. And so it takes faith to recognize that what we see now is not what will one day be. And that should encourage our hearts. The future is so certain that Paul can say at the end of Romans 8 that I am sure, I am certain that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Faith sees the future as certain. Second, faith sees the invisible as real. Look at that second clause. It takes it one step further. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and then it's also the conviction of things not seen. So faith not only believes that the not yet is for sure going to come to pass, but it also believes that what is presently invisible is just as real. In fact, even more real than what is visible. So the person of faith can acknowledge that there exists an invisible world that cannot be observed by our senses, that there are real things that cannot be seen or touched or tasted or heard. Most of fantasy literature is premised on that reality, isn't it? Uh, Just as one of many examples, Neil Gaiman is a, a British fantasy author. He's written many books, and one of his books is called Neverwhere. And Neverwhere is about this man named Richard Mayhew. And Richard is on the way to dinner one night in London with his fiancée. And as they're walking to the restaurant to meet his future in-laws, they come across this young girl lying down on the sidewalk who seems to be injured. And they have a discussion about whether they're going to stop and help her. Mayhew feels compelled to do so. His fiance gets angry and moves on to the restaurant, leaving him behind. And so Richard takes this girl back to his apartment and learns that this girl's name is Dor. And Dor tells Richard that she is from what she calls London Below. London Below, it turns out, is an invisible, magical world that exists both alongside and underneath where he is from, which they call London Above. And Richard, along with this young girl, Dor, enters into this adventure to help Dor find out who has kidnapped her parents and why. But his entire world is rocked when the real reality of the universe hits him. Faith knows that the full reality of the world is not limited to what we can observe with our senses. I find verse 3, we didn't read it, but verse 3 is just a fascinating example of this verse. Look there with me. Hebrews 11.3, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by God, by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, right there, we have a statement that A, denies that matter is eternal, and B, affirms that everything that is visible, matter, was made by something or someone who is invisible. So, to trust God means that we as followers of Jesus are able 
to do what Paul says, to walk by and not by sight. That's right. So if you're a Christian here with us this morning, think with me for a minute, okay? Think about how practically relevant this idea is that there is an invisible word that is just as real, if not more real, than the world we can see. How relevant that is for our day-to-day lives as believers. What does it mean to live a life of faith? Well, think about it. You interact, hopefully, every day with a God who is invisible. (laughs) You talk to someone you can't see. And you trust, you believe that he is listening. Every day, if you're a Christian, you are led and you're guided by a person that the Bible calls the Holy Spirit, who is just that, a spirit who cannot be seen, who Jesus says blows wherever he pleases in John chapter 4. And think about what we're doing like right here. Think about what's happening right now. Listen, here's the reality. What's happening right now is there are things present right now other than our physical embodied selves. The very next chapter of Hebrews describes Christian worship like this. Listen, Hebrews 12, 22. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the word of Abel. So listen, if all of this is true, if all of this is true, if there exists a world that we can't right now see, but is just as real, if not more so, than the world we see, people of Christian faith, should have strikingly different lives from the rest of the world. People of Christian faith should have strikingly different lives. Like Richard Mayhew, when he learned of London below, coming to faith in God should change everything about how we live in the world. Our lives are in stark contrast to those whose values are animated entirely by the present world, which the scripture says is passing away, which is not permanent, which is not lasting. Later in chapter 13, Hebrews says, we have here no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Does your life look any different because you claim to have faith? Does your life look any different than your non-Christian neighbors, co-workers, family, and friends because you claim to have faith. Do you have faith? If so, it's going to make a difference in your life. People of faith treat others with love. We confess our sin and our failings and we ask for forgiveness when we fail to do this. Why? Why do we treat people with love and then when we don't do that, ask for forgiveness? It's not just to soothe our own guilt. It's not just to avoid awkwardness in that relationship in the future. But it's because we believe in things that are unseen. That there is a God who watches us at all times and to whom we will one day have to give an account. And who loves us and to whom we should want to obey. But we also, we we don't invest if we're people of faith. All our own resources 
in the luxuries and delights and pleasures that this world offers. But instead, we give money away, a lot of it, and we live generously in a radical way. Why? Not just to feel good about ourselves or maybe even to be recognized by some, with some plaque from some philanthropic organization. No, we do it because the kingdom of God has its own currency. And Jesus himself asks us to store up treasure in heaven through our good works and our love and our sacrifice now. We can use resources in this world to build for the next world. That's what faith does. We can handle physical suffering and physical hardship with with composure and calm. Now, that's not to say we're stoic about those things all the time, right? But we believe that our bodies are not all there is to us. We fear the one whom Jesus says has the power to cast our souls into hell, not just those who can destroy the body. And we also believe that the suffering in this world is not worth comparing. It's a small and trifling thing compared to the glory that awaits. Do you have faith? Does your life have any difference than the life of the world because you claim to believe in Jesus? If you are convicted this morning by the Holy Spirit that your life looks no different than anyone else, ask God for faith. Ask him. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11 says, He rewards generously those who seek him. Seek God. Ask him for faith. He loves to answer that prayer by giving you that precious gift. If you do have faith, then Hebrews says, continue in it. Believe, knowing that your faith pleases God. Remember, we can take God at his word, knowing that the future will bring fulfillment, knowing that what is seen is not all there is because he's already fulfilled the greatest promise he's ever made. He's already fulfilled the most difficult promise he ever gave us. He's given us Jesus out of the immensity of his love. God made Jesus sin for us sinners that we might be made righteous. Christ has already shed his blood. Our sin's already been atoned for. He's already risen from the tomb for our justification. And if God has given us Christ... If God has given us his very self, we can surely believe he's going to make good on all his other great and precious promises. Even if it doesn't seem that way now, and even if we're tempted to only believe that what we can see is what is real, God is going to fulfill every last promise. They all have their amen in Jesus Christ. I told you at the beginning, there's only two times when Jesus was wowed. The first was at the unbelief of his hometown. But the second was when he, in Matthew chapter 8, came across this man who was a, uh, a Roman. He was a Roman soldier, high in the Roman military echelon. He approached Jesus and he said, Jesus, I've got a servant back at the house who I really care for. He's been a good man to me and he's sick. Will you please come and heal him? And, and um, his servants asked Jesus to do it first. Jesus is like, sure, I'm on the way. But then the centurion meets Jesus on the road. And he's like, Jesus, listen, I don't even need you to come to my house. Just say the word. Just say the word and he's going to be healed. I get what it's like. I'm a man in authority. I tell people what to do and they do it. And also sometimes people tell me what to do and I do it. And I understand that if you say the word, it's going to happen. And what does Matthew say? Jesus marveled, marveled. Not in all of Israel have I seen faith like this. 
God marvels. God marvels at our faith that the future is certain and that what is unseen is real. May we have centurion-like faith with an ability by his grace to see that what he has promised is certain. Let's pray.